When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. I, I just, I think it's a really good app. And I, I think spending $10 on an app isn't that bad for a video game. It's, it's just because it's a smartphone video game. I think that's where your problem is. Well, I... I think you are misrepresenting what I was asking. I was I was legitimately asking you, in your opinion, if you were to if somebody's gonna ask you, like I was, hey, is this a good enough game to buy? Yes or no. And and, and then you're like And well, I said I dropped that Hamilton faster than Aaron Burr and you should just spend the money and stop asking questions about it. Uh, but then you, you said the word but after that. You're like, Yeah, you should spend the money, but if you're not that kind of person, then don't do it. I'm like, well, don't. That's don't because give me a butt. I, that's <laughs> don't give me a butt. That's because when I yes went to no. class that day, <laughs> and I said the app was ten dollars, the whole class went, "What? You paid for an app?" And I'm like, "What is this, Russia?" <laughs> Hello, everybody. This is Travis. Hey, everybody. This is Brandon Cruz. Welcome to Apathetic Enthusiasm, the weekly podcast where we take articles or recent stories and look at them through a media or pop culture lens, except for this week. And well, last week we kind of did that, uh, but there's a there's too big of a movie this week for us to ignore. What movie is that, Brandon? That is the main event, the the main event, the one that's <laughs> the main one, the primary one. It's the it's the one it's the event that everybody is the one that they're going to. It's it's Rogue it's One. It's the one of the ones, the <laughs> the roguest of the ones. Uh, yeah, Rogue One. It's it's Star Wars season. It's almost like, you know, yeah, you have Christmas and the holiday season around December, but now December 
has taken on a whole new meaning because every year we're getting a fresh new Star Wars film. Uh, it's the most wonderful time of the year, Brandon, in my in my personal opinion. I know it. I know. I know. I know that's right. When I wake up I know Christmas that's right. morning, I I hope to see just a Star Wars under my tr- under my tree. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so for those of you that are new listeners, we uh, we enjoy Star Wars here on the show, and we used to do a lot of movie reviews, and we're going to do a little bit of a movie review this week. We will talk about some of the complications with the fact that this is a prequel and not a brand new uh, continuation of the Star Wars story. This is also the first anthology Star Wars film that we have gotten. It's uh, outside the the normal Skywalker story, so to speak, uh, and and we're gonna we're gonna spoil some things about the movie. So if you have not seen the movie, if you care about spoilers, this is your official warning. Brandon, uh, are we gonna get a song for this? I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but <laughs> uh, I I don't I don't know if we'll get a song actually, but if if we do, it'll be here. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> Maybe that'll just be it. I I like the acapella spoilers <laughs> song. Uh, where where's Rockapella? Um, so so. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. With off of Carmen San Diego somewhere, I'm sure. Uh, but yeah, so we're gonna spoil the movie. So this is final warning. Get out now. Uh, if if you have not seen Rogue One, a Star Wars story, Brandon, yeah, what were your initial thoughts on the film? Um, yeah, I I like the movie a lot. I think it was a really good movie. It's and I, and I told you this before you actually went into the theater, or maybe you're in the theater and you're waiting for the movie to start. But it's it's a really good movie. That's that's not just a Star Wars movie, right? Like I, I liked I liked the Force Awakens a lot. I thought that was a really cool movie and and it it spoke to my my Star Wars geek, right? But Rogue One actually spoke to my this is a legitimately good film just on its own even if it wasn't a Star Wars movie, right? Yeah, it, Rogue One almost if this was the first Star Wars movie you ever saw and you had no preconceived notions of Star Wars or didn't have any expectations going into it, uh, I think you could probably watch this movie on its own and feel like, hey, this is a cool sci-fi movie about some sort of rebellion going on. You may not fully understand everything that's happening, but uh, it I think it holds its own as a just a good movie, like you were saying. Yeah, yeah, exa- exactly. And, and you know, there are some some prequely bits that wouldn't make sense uh, necessarily um, to somebody who's never seen a Star Wars film. Um, but I, I think it makes up for it just in the way of, uh, its tone and it, the, the way the, the plot goes. Um, I, I, I think honestly that if people don't like Star Wars cause they're like, ah, it's too kiddie, it's too spacey, whatever, that this would be the movie that, that people who aren't generally Star Wars fans would, would enjoy because it's not Star Wars. I mean, it is, but it's, it's not, if that makes sense. It's like saving Private yeah, Ryan in the Star Wars universe. There, there definitely doesn't feel like there's any like whiny kid who's just trying to learn about the Force type. I mean, it, our main character Jin Erso is sort of that rebellious youngster, but 
she seems very um, independent already and has her own motivations. So I, I don't get the same vibe off of her as you would like Luke in A New Hope where he's, you know, he just wants to go down to the Tashi station and get some power converters or whatever. Like, he, <laughs> you know, she he's at a very different stage in his life than she is in this movie. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, you, you don't have you don't have any kind of like these these bombastic characters like Jar Jar, obviously, but uh, even like like Jabba the Hutt, you don't have anything like that. Uh, you don't have Ewoks. Um, every- Although I might argue that Force Whitaker's character is maybe the most uh, out there character in this film, uh, almost to a fault, in, in, in my opinion. Huh. Um, I wasn't fully sold on him. I understood that he was supposed to be kind of a uh, shell shocked uh, at the at the end of his life rebellious guy, but it just it didn't fully sell it for me. I don't know. Um, I don't. That there, I think in the initial parts that were introduced to that character, I would say yes, I'd agree with you because uh, he's a little he's a little more larger than life. I, I think when we f- we first are introduced to him. Uh, but as he goes along, just interacting with Jin, I th- I think he's a better character, right? Like he's not just a car- caricature at that point in time when he's interacting. Yeah, with and him. and when you compare him to some of those other characters in in previous Star Wars films, he he definitely doesn't go over the top like you would say a Jabba or somebody like right that, or, so. or or General Grievous. General, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I I have a few notes written down. And and the first thing I want to talk about is for those those of us who went and saw the film who are Star Wars fans, and that is the fan service or the Easter eggs within this movie. Uh, and there were a lot of them from right at the get go, from from pictures of blue milk to <laughs> appearances of or cameos of characters that appear in other films. If you are a fan of the Star Wars universe, the hits just kept on coming with this. To a point where I almost felt like it was borderline too much, but every time I saw something, I was like, "Oh, okay, awesome." There's those guys from Tatooine in uh, what's uh, A New Hope? Yeah, in oh, uh, the cantina. In the cantina, Mos yeah, Isley, yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, just just so many things that kind of tie into the other movies. Uh, that was really like cool you. to see. I don't like you either. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, um, there there are, you, like you said, there are a lot of those Easter eggs, some cameos. Um, uh, so there, there's a couple flagrant ones that, well, there's at least one flagrant one that you uh, have an issue with, um, and I'll, I'll let you, I'll let you get to that one. But the ones I did like were like um, just the uh, the the squadron of X-Wing fighters, right? Like the ones, oh, yeah. the ones mm-hmm. from the original, the trilogy, uh, well, not the original trilogy, just the new hope, uh, and all those guys and, and seeing, you know, uh, red five going in. Um, and I, so I thought like those were, those were really cool. Cause they, they tie into a new hope without, without just being like too on the nose or, or, or eye winky, like, Hey, Hey, here are these guys. They're just, they're just, they're part of the action, but there's no attention drawn to the fact that they're they're from the original 
film. And and the thing I love about it is if you are new to the film, new to the universe, it doesn't it doesn't distract in any way if you're seeing Red Leader and and Red 5 getting shot down. That just that's a part of the action, that's part of what's going on. But then if you are a diehard fan of the films and you realize like this this is Red Leader. This is the same guy. Like the I almost I was questioning if it was an actual actor or or they're going with the CGI route and that because even the mannerisms of the Red Leader were were right with how he ran his squad in A New Hope. And then when Red Five gets uh, shot down, you're like, okay, there's a spot for a new Red Five to yeah. be part of the team. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, that kind of stuff I really liked. Um, apparently the whole blue leader, like blue squad was a nod to, they're actually supposed to, I think the, the red team was supposed to be blue in the original like script. And then Lucas changed it towards the end of production. Hmm. But I guess like in like the novelization of the film, it was already, written as blue so there's like a little tie into that and stuff but there so there's a lot of nods and fan service and things that um are throughout the movie one issue that i had was the appearance of c3po and r2d2 who have been in every single star wars movie that's been put out yeah uh and you know that's fine there's a lot of people that talk about sort of some of the star wars films really being the story of r2d2 and they they take this alternate approach where it's really about everything that r2d2 has gone through throughout this course of time but i felt like it was really forced in this movie i don't i don't know if you felt the same way uh well uh conveniently i didn't i didn't put too much uh credence into it because uh, i took my son to watch it and right at that right as they were flying off uh he started acting up and i was like yeah, you know, I, I looked down at him and was like scolding him, and I looked up and I just caught the tail end of of uh, C three PO and R two looking off as the X at at the X wings taking off, and and I guess C three PO saying they don't tell us anything. Um, so so I wanna I wanna expand on this just a little bit for a minute, yeah. and and get into some some nerdy fan theory type issues when it comes to continuity because we we discover that through the the final act of the film that this battle on Scarif where they're they're actually stealing the plans that the plans are very quickly transmitted to the rebel fleet and then immediately transferred to the ship that has princess leia on it where she is going to be transporting the plans the ship that we see in the very first frames of the original star wars film and in that film, in A New Hope, R2 and C-3PO are on that ship. They're already on there, and then they can jettison off in the escape pods, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. They're, they don't show C-3PO and R2-D2 getting onto a ship. They, don't, they just show them standing in a hangar at the beginning of all of those ships leaving to go join this fight. So part of the conversation that we had afterwards was how did they go from being at the rebel base to being on the ship with Leia? Are we just supposed to assume that they hopped on 
as the fleet was getting ready or is that do you feel like that's a legit continuity error um well i I mean i can see how the perception of it being a continuity error but i can also use just i can use words to justify how uh the the that particular ship escapes right it jumps it jumps away it escapes Darth Vader's chasing after him. But we, we don't know how long he's been chasing after him by the time it gets to a new hope. Right. So And that's and that's the exact same thing that I I kind of alluded to in our discussion is maybe maybe they made a few pit stops that, between Exactly. There there know. are gaps in time that are unaccounted for, uh as as far as we're aware, you know. Yeah. I'll get I'll give you that. Uh <laughs> as, as as put that uh, in my uh, pocket. Uh, yeah, you just hold on to that one. I'll, I'll, that's that one's free. Um, I I want to talk about Darth Vader for a second because you talk about Darth Vader's pursuit of Princess Leia. Vader is not doesn't have a predominant role in this film, but thankfully, uh, we do get some some pretty key scenes with Darth Vader, and he's again voiced by James Earl Jones, which I thought was awesome. What what was your feeling about Vader in this film and just some some early thoughts about uh what they did with him? So there's a there's a scene where he where we first see him and he's talking to director Krennic and he he like force chokes him kind of, but doesn't kill him. I, I, and he I, drops that pun. Did you think that pun was yeah. was was good or bad? Yeah, it, it was it was bad, and it was so so bad. So it was so bad. That was that was my problem with that initial initial seeing Darth Vader was like, yeah, that's not that's not that's not him. <laughs> that's that doesn't seem right for for the character. It seems kind of hokey. Um, but when we when we see him at the end of the movie when he's in pursuit of the Death Star plans, uh, and he's going through the Rebel ship and just destroying people. Um, then I was like, yeah, heck yeah. That's probably my favorite Vader moment on film ever, period, is when they show him just, for starters, the the Empire doesn't even send a, like a, a large group after the fleet of rebels. They're like, Vader will take care of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This, this one dude will just, you know, that he'll, he'll deal with the fleet. <laughs> um, but then he he fights off this whole group of rebels, and it's it's genuinely like the villain that Vader should be, that I think sometimes gets lost in 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 the prequels that came out, but also just because the way that he's he's fighting and stuff is is not as choreographed in the the early movies. Yeah. Um. I don't know. It's just such a really a powerful scene with Vader and I thought that was really awesome. Yeah, because I mean he's just he's like a terminator and cuz they're, you know, that that little whatever hallway that they're in uh just with a dozen or so rebels and it's just a hallway and he's just he's just a terminator just just strolling casually pretty much and just like throw <laughs> this guy over here, lightsaber here, doing this. Uh and he's just he's he's badass and that's how Vader is supposed to have always been. It, um and and like now we, it's a feeling you've always gotten watching him just in the original trilogy, uh, and this is just highlights. Yeah, you know what? You're right to think he was a badass because we have this scene now. 
it, I, I related a lot to the recent run of Darth Vader comics. Yeah. Where I felt like they did a really good job of showing Vader as that force to be reckoned with. The, uh, the Vader down crossover that they did really highlighted some of just how powerful he really can be taking down ships, you know, with, with the force and things like that. So um, that I was really excited to see. Do you, do you think, what do you think about his, his crib, his pad that, uh, do you think it is, it looked like it was on some sort of like lava planet. Do you think that was, what is it? Mustafar or yeah. something that the, the planet where he actually fought Obi-Wan and lost his arms and legs and things like that. Do you think that was the same planet or do you think it's just like it just, it's similar? He just, he just happens to like, uh, you know, what? I want to emperor. I want to live on a, on a, <laughs> on a magma planet. <laughs> like, can, can you, can you build it right on the river of lava? <laughs> maybe with a nice little lava waterfall coming out it, of one of the sides. It's so hot. It's so hot. Uh, like, you know what? All my worst memories ended up happening here. So let's build it on the most, most far. Uh, yeah, that, that was my thought was that he was still on that planet for some reason. But the, the interesting thing I heard was that thought that because his power is ingrained into hatred and rage and, and the dark sides of the force, that it's possible that he would choose to stay in that place where he lost his love, where he lost his teacher and his friend, where he lost a part of himself to kind of act as that reminder, like, oh, you know, this is all the crap that's happened to me, and it happened right here. Like, I almost wonder if that was sort of the intent in being like, all right, this is where he decides to hang his helmet. Yeah, but I mean, like, do you, do you think you get, he gets Sunday ticket all the way out there? Ah, uh, you know, it's hard to say, but I mean, he can he knows the emperor, so he's probably got like box seats for any game he wants to go to. All right, he's no, got he's just... got Google Fiber. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> uh okay, so let's let's move on a little bit. Uh let's talk So this was advertised as maybe a bit of a heist movie because this was going to be a group of rebels that were going in to steal the plans for the Death Star. I was really fired up about the premise of that because I think, as we've mentioned in the past, I'm a big fan of heist movies. But I really did not get the impression of a traditional heist movie. Um, It was really... It felt more like a war movie to me. And I I don't think that's something we've really seen in the Star Wars universe. I I know they tried it with... uh, the Phantom Menace with the the battle droids and the Gungans, um, <laughs> but that was that was really not a gritty war film like you think of like a Saving Private Ryan or something like that. Uh, the rebels on in that final you know sequence or whatever, uh, they were really down in the trenches and you saw them fighting on land and things like that. And it uh it was a it was a cool new perspective that I really appreciated in the film. What what did you think about that? last battle scene that took place on is it Seraph Scarif? Yeah, Scarif. Yeah, the San, San Scarif. <laughs> uh the I don't know if it was if it was actually advertised as a heist movie or or if that's just how we read into it. Maybe. That's it's my own fault. Um but uh you know 
I, I think when we think of heist movies, they're they're kind of they're kind of fun, right? Like, ah, oh, cool, we're having fun, we're or coming up with a plan to steal this guy's money in Las Vegas, you know, do stuff like that, right? Uh, to me, it's it's always that planning part where it's an intricate plan. Yeah, where there are a lot of independent roles and steps where everybody's got to do their thing the right way, right? In order for the big payoff at the end, right? Right. Which there, there were there were inklings of that, but it was there was a lot more chaos involved to where it wasn't like a plan thing. It was like, oh, here's here's a situation where you know there's there's a, a speed bump. Yeah. And and one person helps to get over that. Yeah, and, and and but generally those types of movies are still there's an air of fun to them, right? Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. With um, and, and so in in this one, obviously it's it's not it's not like that. There are real. Um, I think what what made it into more of a war movie is that there were real um, consequences for each oh, yeah. for each of the mm-hmm. characters, right? Uh, there. They there's actually there's actual life and death odds or stakes in in the film, um, and it's more along the lines of the uh, the Dirty Dozen than it is you know uh, Ocean's Eleven because yeah, definitely. they get they get all all these people come together trying to uh, trying to get this you know the the plans out of this planet and yeah like people die. <laughs> everybody dies since we're in spoiler territory yeah for sure and like that's that's so like that knowing like i knew just narratively that they they all had to die because we'd we'd seen new hope empire strikes back return of the jedi and they don't exist anymore so it only makes sense that they die at by the end of the movie uh but it's that journey to see how they die and what and like what their final moments are um i think separates us from a traditional star wars did you find it were you were you moved emotionally so to speak uh at the deaths of some of these characters um being that it we hadn't spent multiple movies with them and it was sort of an expedited pace introducing everyone at the beginning of the film and then you know in the second half they start dropping off. Do you feel like the movie gave you enough time to really connect with the characters before they ended up dying ultimately at the end? Yeah, I, I absolutely I do. I, I saw some critiques that say that uh, Jin wasn't developed uh, enough as a protagonist, and that might have something to do with the reshoots because I think they wanted to focus on her more um, to make her a little bit more relatable. Um, but I think that they did give enough time. And I think that's a testament to it, it being a good film because by the end of it, you know, you, uh, the, um, all the, the guys, you know, uh, the robot, uh, the, the blind dude and his friend or his brother or whatever it is. Um, Mm -hmm. like that blind dude, he, like that scene where he's just like, you know, he's been chanting, I'm one with the force, the forces with me over and over and over again throughout the whole movie. And like that, that moment that he says, you know what? I'm going to put my faith in the force. Even though I, even though I'm not a Jedi, I'm putting my faith in the force that it's going to protect me to get where I need to be. And I know I'm going to die. I just, but the force is going to help me do this one task for, for them. Right. And I, 
and like I I teared up and I like honestly I'm tearing up a little bit just thinking about that scene because like it's so it's so cool knowing yeah I'm going to I'm going to friggin die but the force is going to carry me through this one moment. Yeah, I, absolutely. I I would agree with you 100%. Uh that character in particular I was really fond of in the film. I I really liked him. Uh and then Alan Tudyk's character, the the CGI robot, uh, was it KC or K two, um, K2SO something or other? Like that. Yeah, K two SO. I think that's right. Uh, I got kind of choked up when he was killed, so to speak. And he's a droid. He's not. He's not a person. Uh, but the amount of uh, effort that he went into for for being a character that was throughout the film pretty snarky and sarcastic and didn't seem to to really care about what was happening uh it they kind of really shifted that that character's uh motives and intention in that last sequence where he was doing everything in his power to his last you know ones and zeros to to get um the mission accomplished and and save his friends and so I don't know that I I was really into that as well and uh the the final the final death so to speak where they're on the beach mm-hmm. after the after the blast has already gone off um was was really deep it was intense and and made me think man if I'm going to take my 9-year-old to see this in like a week how is she going to deal <laughs> with some of that stuff you know yeah. cuz because this is this is a little bit darker of a of a Star Wars movie than than what we've had in the past. It and it they deal with some of that a little bit more um, than you do. I mean, every every Star Wars movies has deaths in it, but uh, some of these felt a lot a little bit heavier than than movies we've had in the past. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even even I wish I remembered a character's name, but even the blind dude's uh, other guy i don't i don't know what his relation <laughs> yeah. is right his his friend like after after blind dude dies like then th- this guy who hadn't been repeating that that saying at all throughout the movie then like then picks it up right and then he starts saying i'm one of the force forces with me like right before he's he's he dies and like i yeah, i just it's it is it is darker uh but like if it wasn't if it wasn't Star Wars, if there weren't blasters, if there weren't stormtroopers and spaceships all over the place, like it could be just a a regular war movie, you know? Yeah, yeah, I'll give you that. Uh, okay, so I want I want to hit on a couple of these other things real quick. Yes, they they, which has been the case. Special effects in Star Wars movies mm. they go hand in hand, mm. and Star Wars they're always pushing special effects in new directions. Uh, but the one direction they really so that sort of stood out, I think, to both of us in watching this film was the use of CGI to present uh, certain human characters that we have seen in the very first Star Wars film, New Hope. Yep. And and specifically, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Peter Cushing, Grand Moff Tarkin. Yes. So. I, I want you, I want you to speak on on your thoughts for for how they went about 
showing these characters what 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 was your takeaway here um i i i I thought those the cgi characters were bad (laughs) i honestly (laughs) like i couldn't i couldn't get past it not in we we talk about uncanny valley i I just don't think it was very convincing at at cgi and chelsea she she watched it and she's like oh they did a good job with, with peter cushing but i was like it's he's not moving right like there's little there's just something not right about that particular CGI model. And and so here's here's my question is is it because we as 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 people know that Peter Cushing is not that age, that he is not actually acting in that role. We know that this has to be a CG representation of the actor. Are we are we getting in our own way in in accepting that? And and do we start picking out the issues? Uh, I don't, I don't necessarily think so because Westworld is a good example of, like, uh, they they show a young Anthony Hopkins, sure in CGI, mm-hmm. and that was so good, <laughs> it was so good. I like my brain was tricked into like I knew it was CGI obviously because he's not that young, but yeah. but it was it was tricked enough to where I was like. I'm convinced that is a a a good enough CGI young Anthony Hopkins. The the other example that I thought of was in Captain America Civil War where Robert Downey Jr is running the simulation of that the last time he was with his parents. Yeah. And they and they you, they created a CG version of a young Robert Downey Jr and it's it's real good. It's it's pretty spot on like it looks like how Robert Downey Jr. looked like in the eighties <laughs> or whatever, you know. So, yeah. Um, but you know, yeah. But you know, the one that that doesn't work in Peter Cushing, like, oh, I'll give it, I'll give it a little bit of space. Although they used him a lot, so it was it, that's what made it more noticeable. And that I think's the problem is the overuse of it. Yeah. If if they had only maybe had like one scene or a couple of quick clips, the the time where they show his reflection. Like one of the first times you see him, yeah. If they had left it at that, I think that would have been brilliant. I think that would have been excellent. But it was having him involved in lengthy, you know, conversations. Yeah, it it just it created more opportunities for me to kind of be taken out of it. You know, even if they even if they'd done him just long distance calling on hologram. I think that would have eliminated some of it, right? Because you're like, oh, cool, sure. it's it's a hologram, so of course yeah. it's, of course the quality is grainy, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, but but the the one, you know, he's he's bad enough, but the one main CGI representation of a New Hope character that's just like it's glaringly bad, so bad, uh, was Princess Leia at the end of the movie. Like they did a close up on her face. And it is just—it's horrendous looking. Dude. It feels pretty cartoonish. It feels, um, and part of it is that that last scene is so bright, yeah. That that and 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 very well lit. That they it, it doesn't it, they don't do themselves any favors in in masking the fact that <laughs> that is CG, you know? Right. Um. And and honestly, if you compare that to what we got with. You know the first prequels that were dished out. It's night and day, so much better. But we're still kind of teetering on that edge of 
I don't know. For some of the people I went with, they thought it looked great, and at times they thought a legitimate actor was hired in uh, place of the seat. So I think maybe we're a little critical of that, or maybe it's just the way that we um, watch the films. Maybe we're a little bit more critical about yeah. it. But I, I'd, I'd be curious to hear what other people think well, about the the CG character. Go, going going back on the difference between Peter Cushing and and Princess Leia, uh, Carrie Fisher. So Chelsea thought that Peter Cushing was a good one. And then she's like, but what happened with the Carrie Fisher model? <laughs> <laughs> so, and then that, that, that's coming from her who thought that Peter Cushing was, was a good model. Uh, be, and honestly, Leia just looked, looked awful. So, uh, all right. All right. But C-3PO looked exactly the same. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. They, they, they nailed it. That's right. They nailed it with the three. And, and the, and the red team. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, so I want to I want to talk a little bit about not just this movie, but but prequels in general. And I think we we have an opportunity to compare actual Star Wars films against each other. But there there is a difficulty with prequels in the fact that we are seeing events that took place leading up to something that we already know what happens, right? Uh, and that is the essence of a prequel. We know what is going to happen in the future. And so the storytellers have a unique challenge in the fact that they can't surprise us necessarily with certain outcomes. There are certain characters that we know have to live. Sometimes there are characters that we know have to die. But how well do you feel Rogue One took on that challenge and, and with their execution? Do you think they were successful did okay what what was your your thought on that i think that it did perfectly it it did perfectly in the sense that guess what we already know where the story takes us and we know that these characters are never referenced again they're never heard from again and the only thing we know is that they say that a team sacrificed everything to uh, get these plans to us right so we know their fate and so by the end of Rogue One, we know that they're we know that they're gonna die, and but we that's not their deaths isn't the important thing. It's giving us kind of a little bit of backstory, uh, a little bit of that extended universe knowledge, saying like, oh, oh, okay, cool. That's how that's how that happened. That's a a part of the story that we weren't privy to before. Uh, but it but that part of the story doesn't change any stuff that came before it um or after it yeah. in the actual mm-hmm. timeline right yeah i uh i think i'll watch that opening crawl of the original star wars film uh differently knowing that that paragraph that talked about a group that stole the plans to the death star like it's just a, it's just a paragraph of text yes but what that encompasses now knowing who those individuals are what they went through to get there um i I honestly feel like the the story between Jin and her father and sort of how he was taken by the Empire and, and forced to develop the super weapon. But the whole time he was doing that, sort of subverting what they wanted him to do and actually building in uh, this this failsafe, this... this easy way to uh actually destroy it uh i think it i think that kind of 
settles a question in my in my mind about why would you make this giant you know super weapon that could easily be taken out with a couple of you know torpedoes uh, to an exhaust port uh, like who would design it that way but when you realize it was designed by a person who wanted it to fail then it kind of shifts your perspective like okay all right maybe that makes sense um I, so i don't know i i i kind of i kind of like that sort of side of it as well yeah i i think what makes a good prequel is it's something that enhances what is already there right uh Absolutely. this this story enhances that story about the the fail safe and the death star it enhances the the power of the sacrifice that these people put into it uh to to give a new hope right a bad prequel it it changes stuff too yeah, it but it makes you look at things less less favorably. So you see how Darth Vader is created, and by the end of it, you're like, "Really? That's how he was created? That's dumb." <laughs> it's it, I think I think the Force is the best example, right? Because when you watch the original trilogy, you see Luke learning the Force, and it's this mystical, unexplained somewhat spiritual somewhat magical you know thing where he can move things and and they've got lightsabers but then you get episode one and you have the word midichlorians and suddenly everything loses a little bit of its magic and splendor right it's like okay they just have more special cells and that's why they're better at it like that whole aspect of it i think is is an example of a prequel making things worse instead of making them better <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and that's that's why i think that uh kylo ren the way he acts uh in the force awakens is it would be a would be a better model for how darth vader should have asked acted in the original or not the original yeah. in the prequel trope but anyway now this is pod racing <laughs> oh god <laughs> Uh well yeah I mean any anything else you wanna you wanna chat about with Rogue One are how okay so you do a Twilight Zone podcast we mentioned that very frequently (laughs) uh the Twilight Zone is an anthology series and and this is our first glimpse at a a possible set of anthology films that take place in the Star Wars universe I feel that they did a good job of introducing us to this this concept are you excited based on what we've seen about the future anthology films to come obviously the han solo movie coming up we're not exactly sure what's coming after that but does this give you hope or are you uh what what do you think uh you should we should go back and watch the movie again and and count how many times they say hope so many times so many so many times uh i mean with with disney at the helm with their with their fingers in in everything, I think you know making reshoots here and there, right? I think they they have uh, the best interests for the franchise in mind, and I don't think they're going to let anything anything bad happen to it. So from that standpoint, I think the and I think the movies are going to be good. Uh, you, you made I won't get too deep into the Twilight Zone thing, but although the Star Wars anthology movies are coming out. It's it's different, right? All Twilight Zone episodes have nothing to do with each other. They're all individually. There, there's not a common universe necessarily in Twilight Zone. So, 
fair fair point. Uh, uh, there, but there, but there's talk. There's talk of uh moving the property into television, and and it'll still exist in the same same universe. But maybe you have a series that that surrounds you know a a certain group or doing a comedy film that is you know maybe a little bit more like Guardians of the Galaxy type. Uh, it's 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 comedy or it's or it's it's a little bit funnier but it still exists in the Star Wars universe. They can, they can go a lot of directions with it. Uh, I think this was the safest way to kind of step out into that world. Yeah. Um, I'm just, I'm just, I'm a little concerned that, it, that they try to stretch it too far, but the, the, the big mouse that's kind of pulling the strings right now at, at Disney, they're, 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 they're not going to do anything that's, uh, that's too out of the box. I think you, they're they're gonna they're gonna play it pretty safe. I think and and make sure they get all of the money. You, you know what? I, I would like to see a sequel to this movie, actually. And that and that's not a that's not a joke. Uh, and when I say sequel, I don't mean like direct sequel, obviously, because that would be a New Hope. Um, but like a like a Rogue Squadron movie. Uh, okay. Rogue, yeah. Rogue Squadron. I'd I'd love to see what what uh, Wedge, uh, Antilles does after. Uh, Return of the Jedi because they're still fighting the the Empire or the you know the the remnants of whatever they're they're called at that point in time you know there, there's still stuff that happens after that um, and so I'd like to see something in that realm that bridges the gap between so, sort of like six in that, that that shattered Empire t- time frame yeah. that we saw in the comics uh, leading up to Force Awakens a little bit yeah exactly yeah I'd I'd be all for that um. Final thought, did this feel at all like fan fiction to you at any point when you were watching? Did it feel like a like a student? I mean, obviously, enormous budget, but almost just like a, a student film where they were just like, hey, let's go get together and write the story about how they stole the Death Star plans, and then and then we'll shoot it and put it up on YouTube or something. Like, there were times where I got that impression at and I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but it definitely felt like a a distinct step sideways from the normal uh, Star Wars saga. Uh, yes, uh, yes, fanfic, but not, but not in a negative way. I would say fanfic in the sense that it's like an extended universe novel. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like yeah. it's 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 enhancing everything we know. And that's what was so great about the extended universe was it gave us some more, uh, it built the universe a little bit more than just the movies provided. Um, and so yeah, this and, movie and, provides and, more. And it's canon. So, canon. so we can count everything is true <laughs> and, uh, and go from there. Yeah, All yeah. right. Well, those are, those are our thoughts on, on Rogue One. We would love to hear your thoughts if you saw the film if you haven't seen the film and you listen to this entire podcast uh, i'm sorry <laughs> uh, i'd still highly encourage you to go see the film uh, but definitely if you saw the saw the film we would love to hear your thoughts and please just be good human beings and don't there's not a ton to spoil in this movie but don't spoil star wars for people that haven't seen the film okay. just don't be, don't be that guy i i i don't i don't want to drag out the episode any longer but i do want to have this conversation real quick if i can and it, it, it's it's a talk about spoilers, and I I had this conversation with uh, yes uh, the obsessive viewer podcast folks on their Facebook page, uh, which and I was like, 
when it comes to spoilers, there's nothing, in my opinion, there's nothing really to spoil about this movie. It's a very, it's a very straightforward story. And there's not like, when I think of spoilers, I think there's a twist that, that is going to happen that needs to be spoiled, right? There needs to be a twist. There needs to be a, uh, he's been dead the whole time kind of moment. There's nothing, there's nothing like that in this, this film, even with the force awakens, uh, Guess what? Kylo Ren kills Han Solo. That's a huge oh, spoiler. Spoilers. Huge. I think the statute of limitations is, <laughs> it, yeah. is passed on that. Uh, oh, also Han is uh, Kylo Ren's dad, right? Spoilers. Like that's <laughs> spoilers. Those are huge. Those are twists uh, that need, yeah. that can get spoiled. And I don't, I don't feel that this one has anything like that. It's basically like me saying, "Hey, in Saving Private Ryan, a lot of people die because it's a war movie." Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, Fair point. Having Fair said point. that, I'm not telling people in line in a group of people, "Hey, everybody dies," because that's still a sensitive dick move. <laughs> Fair. Fair enough. All right. Uh, and on that note, uh, that is our show. Thank you so much for listening. We would love to hear what you thought about the film. You can hit us up on our social media sites at facebook.com/slash/apatheticenthusiasmshow, over on Twitter at apathusiast. Uh, start following us on Instagram at apathetic underscore enthusiasm. And of course, as always, all of this and more at apatheticenthusiasm.com. That's the show. If you enjoyed it, please head over to iTunes, subscribe, give us a five-star review. Tell us why you loved rogue one or maybe why you hated it. You can, you can do that in the, uh, in the ratings that iTunes doesn't care. So long as you write something, it it, (laughs) it helps us out. Yeah. Uh, Or, or whatever your podcatcher is uh, of choice. It doesn't have to be iTunes. We will still continue to produce this content either way. Next week uh, is our year in review episode. 2016, the year that was. Uh, yeah, that's so bad. That, so much to talk about. Um, until then, Merry Christmas to those of you that celebrate. And happy holidays to everyone else. Hope you have a great time with friends and family and until next week i'm travis i'm brandon we'll talk to you next time see ya and the force is with me and the force is with you and the force the force the force is a force of course When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.